1: Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary from Radio Astronomy, our guide to the best things to see in the night sky in March 2021. I'm news editor Ezzie Pearson and I'm joined on the podcast today by our reviews editor Paul Money, who's going to tell us the best things to catch this month. Hello Paul. Hi Ezzie, how are you doing? I'm doing really well um, and for us it was last night but for our listeners it would have been last week. We were all absolutely captivated by the coverage of NASA's Perseverance landing on the surface of Mars. Um and were you watching at home Paul?
0: I was. I, I mean I was there cheering when it landed sort of thing, you know. But I'm I'm always absolutely terrified. I mean everybody is, aren't they? So that that 7 minutes of terror really is 7 minutes yeah. even for us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like you could you could see in the control room as well afterwards. Uh, like I noticed, everybody usually everybody's like going around high fiving and and hugging each other. And, and this year it was all fist bumps. It, it was the fist bumps, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> socially distant fist bumps. Um,
0: very good to see they're all wearing double masks. They were they you know, yeah they take this very seriously, which we all should. So uh, yeah. yes, they were. But as you said, they were they were very more. They were having to be a bit more restrained this time. But you could sense the <laughs> the sheer exhilaration of actually getting there and getting the signal. Those first couple of pictures, Mm. absolutely brilliant.
1: Because this is, you know, like the first date, like people have been trying to send a sample return mission to Mars since I think the 1990s and 1980s. That's when first people started looking into it. And like now, 30 years later, we're finally getting started. So that's going to be really interesting. It reminds Um, (laughs) me... Very slight side issue. It reminds me, um, I,
0: I watched the original Thunderbirds. You're too young, Ezzie, <laughs> to remember the original I watched it on
1: Sunday morning repeats, I'll have you know. <laughs> yes, but
0: is that the new one or is it the original? You know, the ones with no, the strings. the original on the Sunday morning repeats. <laughs> well, I always remember sort of thing. They, they, had, um, a, um, they had a they had a wrist video phone where they talked to bass. And I always remember wait, waiting for that and waiting for that. And there was a, a, an image that, you know how every time they get a new administration come in they uh, say we're going back to mars we're going to go to mars this time and uh, one of the artwork actually showed an astronaut on the surface of mars talking into his wrist and i was going no jerry anderson thought about that in the 1960s we're still waiting
1: (laughs) and i'm still (laughs) waiting
0: to get to mars
1: (laughs) Uh, well hopefully this is you know the start of you know we've got artemis coming up later um Probably not going to be 2024 at this point. That's looking like it's going to slip. But um, we should see, you know, human boots on the moon at some point this decade and then going on to Mars following. It's a natural progression, isn't it?
0: You know, I've always, I've always thought, you know, myself, go to the moon, get established on the moon, then you're ready to go to Mars. Mm. You know, do all yeah. the mistakes on the moon first. So, uh, you know, although they <laughs> yes. don't have Martian dust storms on the moon, do they? That's yeah. going to be a hazard. That really is going to be the main hazard, I think. There, but uh, yeah. you know, but uh,
1: not, not probably as as violent as depicted in Andy Wears the Martian, but it's still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon should have, have been to... torn to shreds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you still have to worry about it messing up your communications, yeah. and covering over your solar panels and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that is unfortunately what did for Opportunity. So, mm. But the reason why Perseverance is currently, well, headed to Mars um, was because back in um, last year when it launched, the two planets, Earth and Mars, were closest together, um, which was a great time to observe it then. But where is Mars in the sky now? Can we still see it? Well, it's
0: quite exciting, really, because, uh, I mean, last night, well, when we were uh, doing this, um, we saw it land, and the uh, moon was below Mars, and it was not too far from M45, the star cluster. So, uh, during March, Mars marches relentlessly through Taurus, passing the Pleiades, and then during that course of that time, it's again joined by the moon. Uh, So, uh, you know, so we we've got a series of events taking place. I mean, really, the first to the fifth is when Mars actually passes below the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. I mean, it's a stunning star cluster anyway, and, and should be a target for any stargazer to look at. But to have the added you know, bonus of having a, a, an orangey red planet uh, moving past it as well, I think is quite something. And it's closest on the third. So, uh, But I mean, from the first through to about the fifth, it's uh, quite close to the Pleiades star cluster, uh, the Seven Sisters. And that's a good test to see how many can you see with the naked eye. Uh, I have to say, um, I now wear glasses, and my best was 11 before I wore glasses. I I did make nine a few weeks back on a really good dark moonless night, Uh, so I was... uh, to bits, to say the least. Um, but uh, you know, but uh, I don't think I'll ever see eleven again, unless, of course, I cheat and use binoculars. <laughs> but, it is a, but it is a good cluster for binoculars, and, and this passing of Mars is a good uh, time to use binoculars on it because you'll get Mars and the Pleiades in the same field of view. Um, the question, of course, for us is, <laughs> will it be clear? <laughs> you know, you know what it's like, sort of thing. You know, you wait for these Finger events. Scroll. You know, we write for them in the magazine. You know, Pete. Does all he's writing up for the magazine, getting the month. A, and I wonder if he says to himself, It'll be cloudy. It'll be cloudy. It'll be cloudy. You know, <laughs> you, you, know, you know what it's like when you've got a special event. So, you know, that's the first to the fifth, but there's an added. I always like these lineups. And on the 8th, it actually, Mars lies between the Pleiades and Aldebaran. Now, Aldebaran is the red eye of the bull. Uh, so, Although I have to say red, I mean, orange. <laughs> so, but it doesn't quite have the same effect, does it, sort of thing? The orange eye of the bull. No, the, the red no, eye. No, red of the sounds bull. much more it does, romantic, it? And, I suppose. And also <laughs> associated with the bull as well, being fierce. But uh, mm. it's I always like these lineups, sort of thing, because as I say, it's about a quarter. The way from the Pleiades to Aldebaran, and before it gets to Aldebaran, it passes through part of the Hyades star cluster. Of course, um, I always like Taurus because I always think of Taurus as mainly clusters, because you've got Messier 45, the Pleiades, you've got the Hyades cluster, and then you've got two other fainter clusters, and you see 1647 and 1746. So, you know, you've got uh, some nice little clusters there as well. So I always think Taurus is mainly clusters uh, for it. So the 8th is when Mars is between the Pleiades and Aldebaran. But Mars doesn't stop. Just dead still, you know, right, that's enough. I've done my bit. It carries on. Um, and on the 15th, actually, it's uh, in the lineup with uh, Epsilon. Tori and Aldebaran and then uh, shortly after that the moon creeps into the view as well Mm. and on the 18th the moon is actually uh, south of Messier 45 I always love these crescent views it does make it harder to see the stars um, you know because of course the moonlight starts to sort of light up the sky and it's a similar situation to what we had um, when Perseverance actually landed that night I managed to get a picture uh, showing the moon and Mars in the sky but you have to be careful because the moon is such a bright object compared with Mars, even though we know Mars is a bright planet. So, you know, on the 18th then of March, Mars uh, is moving away from them. But uh, on the 18th, you've got the moon joining in. And then the next night, the moon creates another lineup because on the 19th, you've got Mars the Moon and then Aldebaran, so uh, you know a whole sequence of uh, sort of like conjunctions and events to look out for. Just in one constellation, we hadn't even left the constellation yeah. yet, <laughs> and he's in one constellation.
1: Yeah, I think it's also really good that one on the nineteenth is is particularly good if you if you're 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 trapped in your city and you can't get out. Um, because that one, you know, even I can see the moon from my back garden and I live under a street lamp. Um, so <laughs> it's I think that one's a particularly good one for, for people who are more urban based. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you've
0: got a lot of light pollution sort of thing, you know, it, it's the, the moon is a good indicator a good guide to many encounters sort of thing which is why we like it so much because uh, isn't it andy that goes around us in a month oh that's where we get month from isn't it (laughs) the moons (laughs) but uh yeah so it's uh, i mean that is i mean last night it was i mean people were commenting on social media that they could see um the the moon and they could see the dot above it which we we pointed out was mars so they were looking Mm -hmm. at mars as well
1: yeah I always think it's fascinating, especially when it's, there's something going on on Mars and you can see it from your back garden. That's the kind of, it, it, it's just something very magical about that. Yeah, it brings it home, doesn't it, sort of thing. It makes it real uh, when you can actually look
0: out and see the actual object itself. You know, it sort of like yeah. adds, the, adds that extra dimension to the observing of it.
1: Yeah, it's it's not just something that's been, you know, like invented by Hollywood. Like this is a thing that's actually happening right now, out there in our solar system.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the real thing. You know, this is <laughs> this this is not Matt Damon on Mars as the Martian, et cetera, You know, this, this is the real thing. Uh, mind you, it makes you wonder what films will be like in about fifty years' time when they look back on the first people mm. landing on Mars. We hope, and, uh, yeah. and, and and what they make out of that sort of thing. You know, but. Uh, you know so uh, it, it, you know but mars has always held our fascination i suppose because it's such a fiery colour um it, you know it's uh, the, the god of war sadly in that respect but uh, you know it's it's always caught our attention and the fact that it moves a lot you know i mean jupiter saturn they're slow moving the further away so they take a long time I and mean, jupiter takes an entire year to move effectively one constellation whereas mars well it can zip through several constellations in the course of just a few months <laughs> so It proves it's closer to us.
1: Yeah, and it's not awkwardly close to the sun. (laughs) Oh,
0: Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> but we like will Venus have it for a while, you know.
1: We, we, I mean, you know, it's,
0: it's, once we got opposition over, it's amazing how the number of people I saw saying, well, that's it for Mars. Well, no, actually, we got Mars through to quite a, a decent portion of 2021. Um, it, it has a, a little knack of, because of its motion, it keeps ahead. It, it almost keeps ahead of the encroaching twilight. So we keep it for quite a while, So, uh, which which nice, so we can follow it. Except if you're into telescopes and looking at the disk, the disk is... <laughs> shrink shrunk down to such a tiny thing but um then if you pete lawrence or damien peach sort of thing you'll still get detail on it i mean that they i take my hat off to them for the way how mm. they managed to image it sort of thing absolutely fantastic images even when it's small
1: yeah it's whenever i i look into how much work has to go into to imaging planets i'm just always in awe of just like you know one picture of a planet is actually made up of like hundreds and hundreds of frames yeah that you've you've stacked together um and if people at home want to find out how to do that then we have uh guides on our website www.skyatnightmagazine.com um but that's that's probably enough of mars for this month there's there's enough mars to go around this month don't worry (laughs) people uh but what else is going on in our night sky
0: well, we've got another thing to look out for, which uh, is in Leo, and that is Vesta. Now, Vesta uh, was the fourth of the asteroids, or minor planets, to be discovered. Um, it was the second discovered by Olbers. We've got a great article in the March issue uh, all about the uh, the discovery of Vesta and the celestial police. Uh, that's a topic for another day. But Vesta comes to opposition on March the 4th, and that means it's visible all night. So basically, as the the sun sets, Vesta will rise. And as Vesta sets, the sun will rise. And so, you know, it's visible all night. And the thing that makes Vesta, I, I, I'm always fascinated by this, and I, something I'm hoping to try this time is that it's. Technically, naked eye, it's the only minor planet that gets bright enough that that rivals the planet Uranus. Now, I've been looking enough, I have seen Uranus with the naked eye, no longer with glasses. I'm frat, sad to say, <laughs> but Vesta um, is about the same magnitude as Uranus. So, if you have spotted Uranus in the past or want a challenge, you know, use the charts that we produce in the magazine and have a look and see if you can find Vesta. And it's actually very conveniently placed quite close to Theta Leonis, which is called Churton. So that's a great guide. Again, we've got a position, we've got something that's bright, a bright star which guides us to the fainter um, minor world. So that's opposition on March the 4th. Vesta is magnitude 5.9, so as I say, technically naked eye, but you will need dark skies. You you definitely want to be away from any street lights or anything like that sort of thing. So you stand any mm. chance to spotting it. And perhaps one way to do it is again, binoculars are useful sort of thing. You use binoculars to home in become familiar which one it is, identify which is the object, which is actually Vesta, and then take the binoculars down. So you hold them up and you're observing, but then without changing your position of your gaze, drop the binoculars down and then look around Cherton to see if you can spot the extra little star. And if you do, then you've got Vesta. And I think that's quite exciting to to think you can see a minor planet Potentially with the naked eye. Um, you know, and you know, we we um these these worlds are closer, Mars, Vesta, etc., they're closer to us. They do these these rather interesting retrograde loops, um, which confuse the heck out of the ancients. <laughs> so they had to create <laughs> strange circles. Ptolemy created his sort of various epicycles to try to explain the, the circles instead of they just could not accept that the orbits could be less than circular. You know, they, they couldn't ex- mm. accept elliptical orbits orbits until later but this is going through um the actual retrograde loop and opposition is used at the halfway stage from going through from the first stationary point to the, the second stationary point so uh, this is the time to get Vesta when it's at its brightest close to churton you know so you've got a star to guide you and uh, it is moving past this and by april it'll actually be well past churton so Ideally, within a few days of opposition, March the 4th, this is when you want to grab uh, a minor world.
1: I, I always think it's fascinating the fact that you, you can see Vesta with your naked eye because people didn't find out about asteroids until about the 1800s, when the, the 19th century, when telescopes were, were big enough and beefy enough that they could actually make them. Um, so the fact that you, you can, when you know what it is, obviously, see asteroids is always stunning to me.
0: I know. I, I mean, I, I've, I've seen several now with binoculars. I mean, Ceres is the other one that I, I, I tend to hunt down on a regular basis mm. because the The rest do tend to have quite a range of brightnesses and sometimes their circumstances mean like Palace can have quite a range of brightness and it's not having a particularly good year. So uh, it's not well Favored really for for this year, but there are other years when it's brighter and it can reach something like magnitude eight. Um, but uh, the vast majority are quite faint, so you do need a telescope to hunt them down. So to have you know at least Vesta reach a point where it's naked eye, which means it's easily visible or should be easily visible in binoculars. You know, mm. gives you, it should give you the impetus to go out and just have a look. Add another solar system world to your visual uh, mm. objects that you spotted. You know, yeah. tick it off your little uh, list sort of thing, your bucket list of solar system objects to see, uh, sort of thing, because that's what I do, sort of thing, you know. I keep meaning to go back to the other asteroids and minor planets and tick a few more of them off, sort of thing, but there's always something else, isn't there? (laughs) 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 Like, Like... Rovers landing on Mars. (laughs) (laughs) always
1: something else going on. (laughs) Always something
0: else going on sort of thing. I mean, it's a bit like when Juno got to um, uh, Jupiter sort of thing. All the attention Mm. switched to Jupiter and we're all looking at Jupiter. So, uh, you know, so for me, I mean, 1986, I'll not forget sort of thing, looking at Uranus as Voyager Mm. passed. I mean, you obviously can't see the spacecraft, but it's the knowledge, It's the knowledge, isn't it? It's, it's knowing that it's there is often enough to me. It's that, that adding the knowledge that as you're looking, there's a spacecraft whizzing past or going into orbit or even landing in the case of mm. Perseverance or Percy, as some people are calling it. <laughs> <laughs> Percy has landed on Mars. Hey, what? I didn't know he'd left Earth. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we've talked quite a lot about the various solar system objects that you can see uh, Vesta mars um, and the moon but is there anything else a bit more bit more celestial that's worth looking at
0: well, we mentioned Taurus, and Taurus and Orion are, the, are what I can think of as the main constellations for the winter sky. But we're into March now, so really you'll get into that phase whereby this is the last chance to see them in dark skies uh, over in the sort of like the south and southwest. So you know, if you you know want to have a look at these constellations, grab them now, because once we get into April, it's surprising how quickly they drop into the evening twilight on a lost so you know grab them now while you can and of course we've already mentioned the two clusters in taurus um, but there's also m1 the supernova remnant worth looking out for and again technically it's visible in binoculars if you know where to look but you you've got to have a keen eye and realize that tiny little smudge <laughs> is messy at one a little tiny well a, a supernova remnant i still think that's amazing to think that in binoculars it's the only supernova remnant in in the northern hemisphere we can easily see with binoculars but Moving away uh, from Taurus or Orion, you know, I mean, it it is. It's such a gorgeous constellation. I mean, over a year ago, of course, we were treated to the fact that Betelgeuse faded, uh, which was a real Mm. surprise. I remember going down to a society to speak to them and near enough dragging them outside to say, look, look, you know, Betelgeuse is risen, and it is clearly fainter. You're seeing history here, so this is really faint. So, mm. uh, I mean, Betelgeuse has regained its brightness, uh, so it's, it looks, the constellation looks normal, <laughs> hey, <laughs> which is <laughs> nice to see sort of thing, and, and, and uh, you know, I just, I just hope that uh, we don't get that supernova going off yet, you know. So, uh, I mean, you know, astronomers often say sort of anywhere between now and probably half a million to a million years. I mean, that's quite a range, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, come on.
1: I mean, in astronomy terms, no. Yes, in,
0: I can I understand in that. human terms. <laughs> human terms. Yes, <laughs> very. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many of us secretly would like it to go bang, really? I mean, come on, Ezzy, you do it. I can see it on your face. You do as well. It, <laughs> it yeah, would be something.
1: It's, you know, like I'm, I'm an astrophysicist at heart and just the idea of being able to actually see something like that, uh, a supernova happening right next door. Um, not next door enough that it's going to hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> but next door enough that we've got a good view. We've got a grandstand
0: um, view, haven't we? Yeah. And that uh, is
1: also because supernova remnants uh, are one of those things that we can see evolving in real time as humans. Um, there's there's uh, lots of other supernova remnants, which when you look over like 20, 30 years of images with Hubble, um, you can see them growing and expanding. And so being able to see that, like from the beginning would be absolutely amazing, so. Well,
0: I always remember um, Supernova 1986 uh, I think it's A, uh, of course, the one in the Magellanic Cloud. And I always remember that going off and we were, we were all crying in the Northern Hemisphere because we couldn't see it from the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, <laughs> and the Southern Hemisphere got this third magnitude star up here uh, sort of thing, and we were able to watch that. But as you say, Hubble has been able to study that in tremendous detail. Um, but, uh, you know, and Betelgeuse, it probably won't go bang. Um, but uh, I've always thought, though, no. is that I'd rather it go bang in the summer because Orion is up during the day then and it won't don't disturb our night observing, because just imagine if <laughs> in the absolute in the middle of winter, sort of thing. And this is this is what was on my mind last year. Was sort of, suddenly it started to go really faint. I thought, "Hello, is this the precursor to going bang?" And I thought, "Not now, please, not now." Absolutely, right in the middle of winter, you know, because if it did go bang, it would probably be brighter than the full moon. So you can imagine hmm. it wipe out most amateurs deep sky observing. I think we'd been excited for the first week. We'd oh wow, look, Betelgeuse has gone bang, and then after a week we. Saying, hang on, give us our dark skies back. Yeah, we can't see anything else now. Um, so, <laughs> so you know, summertime is the best time to go for us. Although, of course, uh, down in Australia, it's night time for them in the winter. <laughs> so, of course, they'd be getting a grandstand view of it going bang. But uh, you know, so for, I'm being selfish here, sort of thing. You know, Northern Hemisphere, please go bang in the summer if you're going to go. <laughs> um, because let's face it, if it went that bright, sort of thing, potentially, I would have thought you might be able to see it in daytime, whether it's binoculars or telescope. But that would be Quite something. Uh, but, mm. uh, but, you know, I mean, other than Betelgeuse, of course, being the only bright orange star in Orion, the belt stars stand out so well. I mean, you know, I've had a number of people say, What are those three stars in a line? And uh, it, you, you guarantee they're talking about Orion.
1: That was the first thing I, recognized, I learned to recognize in the night sky when I was a kid was the. Three straight lines. Yeah, I mean, it's it so
0: obvious and so close together, you, you can't really mistake it for anything else. And, uh, and of course, directly below them, uh, you've actually got the the Sword of Orion, which is a, a misty line of stars. I was looking at them the other night, in actual fact, and uh, when I, I did the star count uh, for the CPRE, and, uh, I got 11. Wow. I mean, for me, with light pollution, I was quite pleased, sort of thing, that previously I'd got nine. So, uh, you know, so I improved. I got two more. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you could see this misty line and uh, you know and you know that the middle star is of course the the jewel in Orion, and that is the Orion Nebula. Uh, and even in binoculars, you can see this hazy patch of light. And to think that's a stellar nursery, you know, stars are being born, the trapezium stars were born there, and their formation themselves have triggered the formation, probably, of stars deeper in the cloud. I, I find that fascinating, sort of, this idea that it could trigger off the formation mm. of other stars as well, just by forming stars. So uh, I love to look at that. I mean, I do miss it. As soon as they, you know, we lose Orion, sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm in mourning. Oh, we've lost, we lost one of the showcases, sort of thing, you know. So I can't wait till about sort of like late July, early August. But it does mean you have to get up in the morning, don't it, for that. So uh, we'll have to come back to that sort later in the year.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a reason why Orion is one of the most famous and well-known constellations out there. It's not just because it's very bright and obvious and easy to make out on the night sky. There's a lot going on there.
0: There is. I mean, we, we haven't even touched on the horse head, Nebula, but of course you really need, yeah. <laughs> I always think of that as a more of a photographic object. Um, but uh, but nowadays with specialised filters, you know, it's it's getting amazing what you can do with filters. So um, there are night vision uh, monoculars and uh, eyepieces that are now actually showing things. You just put them to, your, you know, put them up to the sky and you can actually see these things. It's frightening our technologies. We're struggling to keep up with the technology, you know uh you know mind you it does cost a pretty penny
1: (laughs) yeah i i remember when i was uh putting one of those night vision eyepieces into the gear section and i i disappeared down a rabbit hole for about a day of trying to find out how they worked and (laughs) 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 looking into all of the thing, different things they can do um they are they are not cheap but they are fascinating things and the fact that people are now sort of Using technology that's been around for a while in other fields and sort of translating it into astronomy. Yeah, um, I always think that's really kind of it. Could, it just shows you how like interconnected all of science and technology and development is. Um, is the fact that we keep borrowing things from other places and then they keep borrowing things from us. So
0: well, that's. Um, I mean, the evolution of uh, sort of CCD cameras. I mean, it's all evolved from the professionals. You know? So uh, mm. it's not like that we're getting the the, the downcast from the professionals, but technology often developed for professional leads often usually they find a way of making it cheaper and uh, and it then comes down into our range so that we can actually afford it so uh, i mean i look at all the amazing images in our hotshots gallery and you know they are absolutely stunning but i still like the nice basic pictures you know I, I i like the whole range i like to see nice simple pictures as well as the really complicated wonderful shots of things like the orion Nebula. the detail people are pulling out of the orion nebula now with deep these deep sky cameras is just phenomenal
1: i i do have to say i do always like whenever we go and look at the astronomy photographer of the year entries and the awarders whenever you have one that uses very traditional methods like there's always somebody who's used a pinhole camera to take a picture of the sun yeah and i remember a couple of years ago there was somebody who'd actually like worked out how to create photographic like very old school photographic plates and taken one that way um <laughs> And because I remember being in university and having to like go through and count galaxies on one of those photographic plates, they're huge. (laughs) That's a digression. Um, (laughs) But it's yeah, it's this because there's such a like rich history with astronomy and astrophotography, and it's it's interesting to see people embracing that.
0: Exactly, exactly. And we like to encourage them as well, don't we? This is the whole point Mm. of some of the sections in the magazine, is to try to say, look, it isn't just the realm of the professionals. You know, anybody can have a go. Uh, It's it's having the right tools. But if you, I mean, the minimalistic tools can produce, as you mentioned, the the solar cams that just put a piece of... um, put a photographic paper inside a, a can and a pinhole and leave it for months and you can see the changing position, the streak of light of the sun moving as the Earth rotates. I mean, a simple idea and yet it can be quite
1: dramatic, the views. Yeah, absolutely. I think they always look stunning. Well, as you can see, there is loads to see in March's night sky. We've got Mars, the Moon, Vesta... Orion, Taurus, all of these are fantastic things to see in the night sky. If you want more charts to help you find your way around the night sky, plus even more things to see in the night sky, then be sure to pick up the March issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine on sale now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in Bristol by Jack Bateman. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to iTunes, Spotify or Acast.